What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadl. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Every week, we choose a Kate Blanchett film and discuss it with a guest. But not this week. This is a special episode of Sundays with Kate. We are visiting with the Dame, Dame Judi Dench. And Judi Dench... I mean, what a career. She's not here tonight because at the age of 79, her film was so successful that she's in India doing a sequel. I mean, what a career that is. In this week's episode, we will discuss Dame Judy's film career. We will talk about her friendship with Kate Blanchett. And we will dis- discuss a couple of her movies, one that we love and adore and have seen a couple of times, and another one. That was at least new to me, and I saw for the first time to talk to my guest this week. And my guest coming back to continue the conversation about Dame Judi Dench is my friend, Teo Bugby. Teo, welcome back. Hello, Murtada. Delighted to be back. I can't believe it. You, two weeks in a row, I love it. You are my favorite guest. <laughs> It's, I'm delighted to be now the third and fourth <laughs> first yeah. person to be third and fourth on the on the podcast. Yeah. I mean, this was planned. We planned to do this two episodes when we talked about talking about Notes on a Scandal. But also, I think we just had so much fun talking about Notes on a Scandal and about how wonderful Dame Judy is in it that I think she begs um, a repetition. She begs to be talked about more. So... <laughs> so I want to sort of first just ask you, uh, do you remember the first time you saw uh, Judy Dench in a movie? Ooh, good question. What would have been the first time? Maybe Shakespeare in Love? But that's maybe wrong. I mean, it could be A Room with a View. A Room with a View is a movie I saw when I was very, very young. Like, that was a, a favorite movie as a, as a kid. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe A Room with a View. My first with Dame Judy was definitely Shakespeare in Love. Um, that was the first time I saw her. And I don't... And she was wonderful in that movie. She's not in much of it, but that was my first time. Of course, you know, as somebody who followed the Oscars, I knew that she was nominated the year before for Mrs. Brown um, and that everybody expected her to win and then Helen Hunt won. And even Helen Hunt in her acceptance speech was like, oh, um, I thought Judy's going to win. So I knew of her, but I haven't seen her in anything until Shakespeare in Love. And for some reason, Mrs. Brown is a movie that has escaped me because I haven't seen it until this week. Um, I don't know why, but I love Dame Judy. I think my love affair with her began with Notes in a Scandal because she's so delicious in it and such a wonderful performance. And that's when I um, loved her. And then I saw A Room with a View later. Only a couple of years ago, I am, I love James Ivory and Ismail Merchant movies, but that is also the one movie that has escaped me. I've seen all their movies. I love most of them, just adore all of their filmography. But that is one that I didn't see until like maybe five years ago. But A Room is a View is a movie that I have seen in quarantine twice. I have seen it at the beginning of the quarantine because it's just, it's a movie to just 
bask in and enjoy. And then I've seen it because I had to do a podcast about it with my friend Kevin Jacobson in his podcast and under runner up is. What a wonderful movie that is. I mean, truly like a room with a view is just one of the most joyful, joyful films ever. I mean, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a perfect movie in that. And it's a rare, it's a rare genre because it's a genre of movies where there is no problem. (laughs) Like they're like all of the characters, the central problem is you just need to do what you want. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. So like, so let's dig deeper into, so we, we chose two movies to talk about today. So let's just start, before we introduce Judy and her long career, we can do that later. Let's just start talking about The Rumors of You, because it's just a wonderful place to start in. Um, it's such a wonderful movie. Judy is wonderful in it. And so is The Other Day, our beloved Maggie Smith. It's true. I think um, in similar fashion to you know th- our our backstory as friends is that Murtada is my Kate Blanchett friend and I am in turn his Nicole Kidman friend. I think that you are my Dame Judy friend and I am your Dame Maggie friend. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and to have them both together and to both be so wonderful in a room with a view is such a treat. Their scenes together are so delightful. Um and and also like really wonderfully indicative of what makes each of them beloved as actors and as performers. They're Mm -hmm. sort of playing such archetypes of their careers where Judy is, you know, the bold uh, writer, sort of empowered woman to Maggie's prude. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And and that they love each other, (laughs) you know, that they just like love, like Judy loves to show off for Maggie who loves to take it all in. It's so, so charming. (laughs) It is. Um, I love them both in it, but I love, even though I am, if I had to choose, like you said, I'm definitely Dame Judy. But I love Maggie, and I especially love her in this movie. She's so wonderful in this movie. Um, so, so let me set up A Room is a View. So A Room is a View is based on the novel by Ian e. Forrester. It's written by Ruth Brower Javala, directed by James Ivory, produced by Ismail Merchant. Ivory and Merchant are, of course, a couple who made wonderful movies together, including this. This was their first major hit in America and their first sort of hit with award bodies. It was released in 1986. And it is ostensibly about this young English girl played by Helena Bonham Carter in one of her first movies who goes with her chaperone, her cousin, played by Maggie Smith, to Italy for a vacation where, you know, all the repression of the English is sort of set free as she meets another English person, but also falls in love with him and and then that's the first half of the movie and then the second half is back in England where she flourishes and chooses this young man she met in Italy over the stuffy English boyfriend that she was expected to marry and that one is played by Daniel Day-Lewis. Julian Sands is the lovely man she meets in Italy but of course we're talking about the dames. We said Maggie is the prude cousin who was um, Helena's chaperone in Italy and Dame Judy plays this romance writer, her name, even her name is lovely. Eleanor Lavish is her name. And she is somebody who they meet in Italy, at, um, living at the same pensione that they were staying at. And she is 
a plot device because she befriends Maggie Smith and then Maggie, of course, because Maggie is playing this kind of fool, a sort of a foolish woman, sort of tells her um, the secret that she was not supposed to tell, which is that maybe the Helena character has fallen in love with this man. And of course, that has repercussions. So Dame Judy is just playing a plot device, but she infuses so much life in it. And her scenes with Maggie Smith are my favorite in the movie. What's your favorite Judy line reading in the movie? Because I know that I have mine. Oh, tell us then. What is your... It is. It's um, the young girl transfigured. You never know. (laughs) It happened to the goths. (laughs) It happened to the goths is such... Such a great read line reading from Judy. She sort of turns around, she like whips around as she says it. And it's like simultaneously a comment on Italy, <laughs> on love, on the Goths, and on the British. Yeah. And all wrapped up in that one line reading. It's so perfect. Yeah. Dame Judy is, and also like if you've seen this movie after you know who Dame Judy is, it's it's a little bit of a whiplash. Because if you're used to Dame Judy playing the queens, Victoria and Elizabeth, and playing Barbara Covet and playing these other characters to see her here maybe 20 years younger than the age you usually are used to watching her. Also playing somebody who is carefree and bohemian. And, you know, she's supposed to be the one who has no control over her feelings, unlike all the other Brits in the movie. It's it's whiplash, but it's also delicious. It's delightful, completely delightful. And again, sort of similar to we were talking last week about the joy that Judy seems to take in working opposite Kate and the sort of joy of like a a real partnership of equals, you know, as as performers. Um, I think that there is like that same appreciation comes through so much in her scenes with Maggie Smith. They're just it's just so I mean, it's part of the great pleasure of the movie that everybody's so happy to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they love their time in Italy. And like, if we talk about A Room with a View, I think this movie to me, especially in the last time that I watched it, the movie is always sold about the story of Lucy Honeychurch, which is the Helen Bonham Carter character. But it is so the story of the Maggie Smith character. Um, Charlotte. At least. Yes, Charlotte Bartlett is her name. She is also, maybe because I love characters like this, she is somebody who doesn't know what to say or do. She always says the wrong thing. She's always flustered. She's clumsy. She can't even make the right change. She makes, you know, a hill out of a mall hill, out of everything. Um, Everything that is small, she, in her mind, becomes this big, huge thing. She has to be proper at all times. So she's one of those characters that I love watching in dramas because they are the characters who always are building obstacles in front of them that are not there. They're just making their lives difficult for no reason. Um, It's very frustrating if you're a person like that, but it's also very fun to watch an actor do that. And this is what Maggie Smith does here. It's true. And I mean, Maggie has that wonderful end of the film where it's just her, you know, her character in bed alone. And, And in really tender fashion you see her and you're like this woman's gonna be alone for her entire life (laughs) she's gonna be alone her entire life and you know what like it's her nature it's her nature is is to 
is to sort of frustrate a version of happiness that she could share with others. Mm-hmm. Um, but she does at the same time fulfill this crucial part of the community that she's in. You know, the movie isn't punishing to that character and isn't punishing to any of its characters. Um, it, there's, It's just a, a film that really has like the glow of generosity, the glow of like a, a real love of humanity and, and the way that people are silly, you know? Yeah. So many of the characters are so deeply silly and the movie just delights in it. Um, and delights in it with, you know, the sort of pretensions of the Judy character and the pretensions of the Maggie character. You know, it's like a crucial part of what makes it that world so, so pleasurable to to occupy. And this is sort of what I love about this movie and about most of the Merchant Ivory movies is that they do have this gener- generosity for all their characters. You know, Charlotte is so silly and frustrating, but... In the end, they give her the movie because that final scene that you were just referring to, the Lucy character played by Helena always sort of was frustrated by her, didn't really like her. But at the end, she is the first person she chooses to tell that she's finally found true love. And the joy that Charlotte receives that letter and that information and her wonder and appreciation of the fact that Lucy thinks of her as a friend. And that's when the movie ends. You just end this movie with so much feelings for Charlotte that she's finally found a friend or that she finally knows that she has a friend um, because she was probably blind to the fact that Lucy considers her a friend before. And it's just so wonderful and has this generosity for the character that this generosity comes at you from Maggie. I don't know what she does in that movie it's not a big gestural scene. She's just reading a letter and smiling. But there is so much coming from her that you just end this movie on such a high note and a deep appreciation for Maggie Smith and what a wonderful actor she is. And just, wow, I was so impressed by Maggie Smith in this movie. And right now I'm just talking about her and I want to cry. She's so wonderful in it. She is so wonderful in it. And just just a wonderful movie. And, you know, Judy... And maybe you, you know more about this than I do, but my, my impression of Judy sort of leading up to that movie, Maggie is a film actor. Yes. You know, Maggie's career has progressed through cinema. Um, and, you know, by the time that movie was made, Maggie had already won her Oscars, plural. And, yeah, two. you know, two, <laughs> yes, had already won her Oscars. This is like a... a a supporting role, but it's like a plum supporting role. Whereas Judy is primarily at this point in her career, a stage actress and a very well-regarded stage actress. You know, her career hadn't really taken her into the film world yet. Yeah. And so part of, I think like what's even fun about seeing the two of them together at that point in their careers is also the surprise of, Oh, Judy isn't as famous as Maggie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. She's, she has this small part in a room with a view. Yeah. So, so you're absolutely right. Judy Dench was known primarily as a theater actor, a great theater actor. She is, you know, famous. She's, she was the original Sally Bowles in the London production of Cabaret, the first ever um, in London. Her Macbeth from 1976 was, um, her Lady Macbeth, let me correct myself, um, in 1976, with Ian McKellen as Macbeth, is considered maybe the best interpretation of that that was on stage. 
There are clips on YouTube. You go Google that. You find her. She is amazing as Lady Macbeth. I think the gold standard. You know, another gold star uh, for our lovely Dame Judy. But yes, in 1986, when she did A Room with a View, yeah, she was not known as um, a film actress. In fact, she will not be known as a film actress for another decade or so. Um, her first breakthrough into movies was Mrs. Brown, which is a movie um, from 1997. So a year before Kate breaks out in Elizabeth and before Judy wins her Oscar. Um, Mrs. Brown is directed by Joan Madden, who also did um, Shakespeare in Love. So that's a good relationship that Dame, Dame Judy has um, with that director. And it is about a queen, another queen, uh, Queen Victoria, and about her friendship with this um, Scottish um, man who was a servant to her husband. The movie sort of tells the story of after Prince Albert dies, she is um, in mourning and grieving and isolated and doesn't want to talk to anyone. And so the royal household decides to invite this man who become her servant and maybe to help her through this grief. And it's about this relationship that develops this friendship between um, Queen Victoria and John Brown. And the friendship was scandalous for its time because he had no decorum and would call her woman and um, and would take her places that she's not supposed to go to, which is so innocuous. This movie is so funny. The places that she's not supposed to go to that he takes her with are just to visit with some people and have dinner. <laughs> So. Right. It's like, don't take her into the woods. You're like, okay. <laughs> um, it's funny. This movie to me is like, I've, I've never watched it until this week. And it's such a 90s relic. Like, it's one of those movies that, you know, masterpiece theater. But it's also trying to subvert masterpiece theater a little bit because of the contrast between Queen Victoria and John Brown. I didn't love this movie, but I just love Dame Judy. What did you think of it? I believe it was like initially produced for Masterpiece. It is, in fact, so Masterpiece Theater that it just is Masterpiece Theater. Yes, it was made for TV, totally. <laughs> yeah, um, but then wound up being picked up by by Cursed Miramax. Uh, and that's... Yeah. But you don't mention is, his name, but yes, that dude. That yes. awful man. Yes, that awful man. But anyway, uh, what did I think of the movie? So here's the thing, right? We're in a pandemic. We're in a panoramic. It is overwhelming on a day-to-day basis and sometimes I find that what I want in this period of our lives is to put something on and just not be challenged (laughs) (laughs) not think too hard it's just there and it's competent and this is what this movie delivered for me Mrs. Brown was perfectly competent was Perfectly pleasant, not a whole lot going on, didn't have to like twist around to try to find something mm-hmm. that was interesting because there wasn't anything that was so interesting. You know, no. it's just just hanging out most of the time. And I loved that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was like, this movie has cleared the low bar that I set for it. Congratulations. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's such a low bar. It's such a 90s relic. But Dame Judy is so wonderful. And I think what I really loved about her, the movie, because she is in opposition to everyone in the film, because as um, 
as Queen Victoria's friendship with John Brown deepens, it basically puts her at odds with her son, with the royal household, with the prime minister. Everybody is doesn't love this friendship. And, and so Judy spends the whole movie reacting to these people. And if there is a connective tissue between her Barbara Cobbett and her Queen Victoria is the contempt that she shows to everybody around her. It is nicer in Mrs. Brown. It is not utter contempt or vicious contempt like she does in... Um, notes on a scandal but it's also here she just has no patience for anyone and (laughs) and if you love dame judy reactions you this is a treasure trove in this movie every time somebody says something to her or she responds to someone she has the perfect reaction her face registers everything so well and it's so fun to watch her what i think this movie really like in terms of the way that this was an introduction for audiences to judy as like a lead actress what I think is very useful for Judy in that relationship with with an audience with a broader audience is that it is a very authoritative performance she is the authority in the room and also so clearly the authority as an actor in every scene that she's in I mean she's dictating the pace of scenes everyone by, by the nature of the character, too, because she's playing the queen, everyone is constantly reacting to her. So she is sort of setting the tone of each scene with her performance. And so it is like, a I mean, as a, as a showcase for, you know, what it is that she does as an actor, it is completely dependent. The movie is, there's nothing else going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's totally. nothing going on besides Judy. And so it is like, it is arresting because you have somebody who is so in control as a character, but then in control of every scene. Yeah, absolutely. Um, She is so in control in this movie. And also this movie gives us um, things that I never thought I'd see Dame Judy do, which is Victorian swimming. And first of all, I have seen Ammonite earlier this year. So I know the thing of like people at that time would actually go swimming wearing full on clothes like covering their whole body um and but you know to see dame judy do that it's it's a very funny scene you need to see dame judy victorian swimming because she goes they put her in this sort of carriage and then they put the carriage into the lake or whatever place she's gonna go swimming um it's not a swimming pool it's definitely something natural um and then she sort of goes down the steps wearing like a very thick dress and head covering and then she swims it's a very funny scene but it's also a scene that just it's something it's why we watch movies to see somebody like judy dench do that (laughs) get dunked just get dunked yeah yeah totally i will say something about this movie i i enjoy a historical drama i enjoy like the I enjoy the pageantry I enjoy the costumes I enjoy the I enjoy the vibe I will say that something that this movie that I struggled with a little bit in this movie is that I actually am quite interested in this period of history mm-hmm. and so the whole time I was like okay like we've got some Benjamin Disraeli like are we gonna hit the corn laws like literally the whole movie <laughs> This is like a niche interest of mine, a real niche interest. The whole time I was like, okay, and now we're going to talk about the corn laws and the corn laws just never came up. Yeah. The Israeli 
the prime minister is only there as a character to just be like, oh, I don't know, maybe if, if Victoria continues this friendship, we can finally become a republic. Or then at the end, he's like, he makes John Brown sort of push Victoria away so she can return to her royal duties. That's, he's just a plot device. He's not really doing anything. Totally. He's, yeah, yeah. I think I, I, from this Masterpiece Theater production, I could have gone for a little more of the history, but I don't mind its absence. The fact that it was absent from the movie was like all the more reason to just sort of turn it off and treat it as like pretty background and just enjoy Judy. Yeah. And what did you think of Billy Connolly as Mr. Brown? Because that's such a, to me, I, I get the friendship. I get what, what Queen Victoria saw in him, but he was so off-putting to me. Such a blowhard. He's somebody who sort of has no respect for, and I know you're not supposed to be like on the side of the monarchy or the household or whatever, but he just didn't have respect for anybody he interacted with. And he had this sort of just unnatural f- devotion. The devotion was a little bit too much for me to take. And I don't know, is it just because I didn't like the character or I didn't like the actor? What did you think? Interesting. I enjoyed the, I mean, I didn't have a problem with the performance. Um, I, it's an archetypical character. You know, it's sort of like he's, I mean, he's not a lumberjack, but he's like fulfilling sort of the archetype of lumberjack in the movie. You know, he's like, like the big brawny man who's wants to protect the queen and like that's the only thing he cares about and like he's good at it and I don't mind that archetype that's like something that I can get down with I think that there is like a strategic alliance between lumberjack as a stereotype and lesbian as a stereotype Mm -hmm. so I was getting I was like okay we get it we're in a kilt (laughs) (laughs) we're in a kilt we're very brusque we're very butch like I get it I I fully understand this man goes to Home Depot and so do I um so I didn't I wasn't bothered like in a in any kind of sort of uh like I didn't have like a knee-jerk reaction to it I just sort of took it in stride I think you could say um but at the same time I don't think that as a performance it's like doing much you know where with Judy the Judy performance is sort of dealing with grief is dealing with like maybe a desire for this man um, Mm -hmm. is dealing with a, certainly a desire for companionship is also dealing with like how annoying everything is. Like so much of the movie is Judy just being so annoyed at having to do the duties of, of being a queen while also being very haughty about it. You know what I mean? It's like, how dare anyone suggest that they have an equal degree of authority as I, the queen. And also, oh my God, everyone is so annoying. I can't believe I have to be the queen. (laughs) (laughs) Like Judy's giving you all of those things all the time, all at once. Um, And whereas like the, the John Brown character, it's just like, here again to save the queen. <laughs> yeah, I know. He, you know. I did. I have to say, I did not enjoy him. I think the actor. Maybe, maybe you've convinced me after what we just, after you, what you just said, that the actor is good. But I just maybe didn't like John Brown himself. Um, well, yeah. I think that it gets to it gets to. I mean, like certainly a question mark 
is why he as a Scotsman is so devoted to the queen. Yeah. You know, like I think part of it, part of like the way that we're reacting maybe to that character in that, like the, the slavish devotion is partly a response to empire where it's like, why do you care? Yeah. Why so much? (laughs) Like let him kill the queen. (laughs) Like he wakes up in the middle of the night trying to save the queen. Like (laughs) totally. I'm like, let her, if they want to kill her that much, maybe they should let him. But what a sort of a juicy role for this for for Judy, right? Like so juicy. And to get this role in her mid sixties and to become a movie star because of this movie that was, you know, made for TV. And then I think it's because she's so good that Mm -hmm. it became a movie and gave her and gave us, frankly, this wonderful movie career of Judy Dench. Like it's funny. It's funny too, because I, you know, I said earlier that it's a very authoritative performance. I think the thing that's like wild about it is that it's similar to at the beginning of Working Girl when uh, it's Let the River Run is playing. And uh-huh. you're like, imagine being in the theater and you've never heard Let the River Run. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Let the River Run comes on. <laughs> yeah imagine being at a theater and not knowing who Judy Dench was. And then Judy Dench comes. Oh it's my like God. The, the fully formed Judy Dench. Like she's giving you all of Judy Dench as if she's always been there. Yeah. But she just There's, wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. We, people didn't know her. Years of experience, years of being one of the greatest actors in the English theater tradition and suddenly you're just watching her in a movie and it is beautiful and wonderful. I, I haven't seen this movie like when it first came out or, but I get what people, why she became an instant movie star. It's true. And it's funny how, you know, I think of that deeply, deeply charming interview with the, the many dames. I think it was like a documentary, wasn't it? It was like the dames, dames have tea or whatever. Yeah, the documentary tea with the dames. Was. Tea yeah. with the dames. <laughs> All the same. But in, in Tea with the Dames, the conversation that the dames have where the three other dames accuse Judy of taking all the roles. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and Judy's so offended. Judy's just like, I this is viciously mean. <laughs> and Maggie's like, girl, <laughs> girl, what do you think this is? We're gonna work forever if we're asked. But you're always asked first. I'm turning on you now. How rude. It's all coming out now. But Judy really, like, came from behind. All of those dames had careers before Judy. Movie careers before Judy. And now Judy has really, like, you know, like, really sea-biscuited the way (laughs) from the back of the pack to the front. (laughs) Yeah. She's top dame. Yeah. Um, America's next top dame. She is, and she's been the top dame since this, since Mrs. Brown came out. Um, One other thing that, you know, you watch the movies for is to watch Judy Dench dance the Highlands fling in Mrs. Brown. That was my favorite scene in the movie where she and John Brown dance the Highlands fling. Because these are things like, you know, you don't see Dame Judy do. So I was in love with watching her swimming and in love with watching her dance the Highlands fling. (laughs) So we talked about how this move, this movie made her the movie star that she is. And what a career. Like, I mean, I'm going to quote Kate Blanchett in her Oscar speech where she says, what a career. 
after Mrs. Brown, she goes and does so many other wonderful movies. She does Iris and Philomena, and she even becomes a Bond girl. She's M um, in a string of Bond movies with two Bonds, uh, with Pierce Brosnan and with Daniel Craig. Um, of course, it culminates in Skyfall, where she is the true star of Skyfall, because that is the story of that movie is all about M, the Judy Dench character. And, you know, she tragically dies. So she gets a big send off, but she gets a movie to send her off because the whole second half of Skyfall is about trying to protect M, where they all go to her country house and they are facing whatever it is, you know, James Bond movies. There's always somebody trying to control the world or start a world war. But anyway, in that case, M was the conduit for all of that. And who but Dame Judy will then get awards traction for playing in a, in a, in a James Bond movie, only Judy Dench. <laughs> so um, I want to talk about two other movies briefly. Um, one is The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Um, if you've listened to our episode last week, um, you've heard Teo and I talk about how wonderful Bill Nye is in Notes and a Scandal. And Bill Nye is also wonderful in The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. And he's wonderful with Dame Judy. Um, because in The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, they play these two retirees who find each other in India. And they have this beautiful later-in-life romance. And I, it's the thing that I remember from The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. I know Maggie Smith is in it. Um, but if Maggie Smith wins um, A Room with a View, I think Judy and Bill Nye win The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel with this wonderful love story between them that is so warm and so just full-hearted and it makes you I know that that's sort of manipulation is a sort of whatever that movie is trying to do but I was manipulated I loved it <laughs> I loved their love I want to live with them I just want to watch them they're so wonderful together and again to what we were talking about as Judy becoming a movie star later in life no other actress in her 80s will get this full-blooded love story and knock it out of the park it talks to maybe the kind of roles that are offered to, to women later in life, but it also talks to just how great Judy Dench is. Agreed, very much agreed. I mean, I think that Judy, I think to the point of the other dames, any role that is written for someone later in life is going to Judy first. Yes. <laughs> like Judy's Absolutely. agent is booked and busy. Judy is booked and busy, honey. <laughs> and also like, I think the parts go to her, but also she's so busy. She still does theater, or at least did until a few years ago. Of course, everything's closed now. But until three, four years ago, she was still doing theater. Um, and she works a lot. She has like two, three movies every year. Some of them are movies you don't even hear of, but she makes them. Apparently, she has a movie coming up um, when you hear this podcast, it will be last week, but it's this week for us, which is Bly Spirit. Um, so Dame Judy's still working. The, um, the other movie that I wanted to talk about briefly is Philomena. I mean, of course, Philomena is um, Stephen Freer's movie that Dame Judy was nominated for an Oscar for the same year that Kate won. Um, and this is the reason for that um, Oscar speech that we quoted. But Philomena is also different than other um, Dame Judy parts in that she plays Irish. She's not English in the movie. And she also plays, she's always playing, you know, monarchs and 
you know, she is, you know, working class in, in Philomena, which is something that she doesn't usually play. So it's a different part. And she's very funny in Philomena. Philomena is a tragic story about this woman who uh, got pregnant when she was a teen and gave up her son for adoption and how the nuns told her the son died. But then later in life, she discovers he's alive in America. And the story is about her going to America to try and find him. But she finds in this tragic story, she finds the funny. She is so funny in so many scenes in that movie. And of course, then she gets to the tragic bits and she's heartbreaking as usual, as you would expect Judy Dash to be. This is a good point about Judy's humor as a performer. It's certainly like a huge part of what makes her so engaging in, in Notes on a Scandal, as we talked about last week. Um, but like, this is like a real gift, I think, as an actor and something that, you know, when we are looking at like the next class of, of actors, you know, and thinking about, you know, who, who is promising in among like young actors right now. Um, but I think that's something that has kind of been lost or that, you know, you find, you, you realize people discover along the way in mm-hmm. their careers as a performer is how frequently depth and drama and tragedy are enriched by bringing a sense of humor to to line readings to interpretations of scenes by like instead of d- worrying about performing something the right way mm-hmm. thinking about all of the ways that like when you're acting not just acting as in a movie but when you as a as a human being are acting how much life you know comes from deflecting away from what it is that you're doing (laughs) you know that like (laughs) like the sort of deflection that that Judy can sometimes bring to her performances where you know on on the like deep down it's a tragedy but on the surface like let's at least have a little fun with it you know that's like a real gift as a performer and, and something that I really cherish about her yeah um she never is less than fully committed like even in something like Cats which Cats is a terrible movie and it's kind of funny, but then there is Dame Judy and Ian McKellen in the middle of it giving these, frankly, excellent performances. And they come on and they do their bit and you're like, I cried a little bit because, you know, Ian McKellen plays this sad older cat who still wants (laughs) like his um, moment in the limelight. It was so moving. And Dame Judy is so wonderful as sort of the central character who is gathering all the cats together. I mean, just look at me describing what she's playing. It's ridiculous. The whole movie is ridiculous. But somehow the pesos that these two actors bring to these completely ridiculous roles in completely ridiculous movie wearing all this fur, it's just like, what the fuck? But they are great. (laughs) I didn't realize that that would have been their, they were reunited from Macbeth to Cats. To Cats. (laughs) I mean, wow, yeah, the the world really is is what it is. <laughs> yeah, this is when you hate movies, right? I mean, we love movies, but maybe movies are guilty of something. If if you can't find a better vehicle for Judy Dechany and McKellen than cats, <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, so since this is Sundays with Kate, we have to talk about Kate a little bit. So. Um, Teo, I have a quiz for you. I have four quotes and I'm going to quiz you. 
the quote is either said by Kate about Judy or said by Judy about Kate. So you have to guess who said what about who. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Love it. Yes. Okay. So the first one is, she taught me a trick she uses before a photo shoot, which is to put your arms up in the air so the blood drains down and makes your hand look less veiny. She says it's your hand that gives away your age. Who said this, Kate or Judy? I mean, great advice. Can't wait to get old so that I can hold my hands over my head. Um, I would guess that this is something that Judy taught Kate, so Kate said it. That is, you are right. Kate said it. This is Judy's trick. So, Judy. <laughs> this is the second quote. She is utterly present in every moment, both professionally and personally, and she's bloody hilarious. Who said it, Kate or Judy? That's got to be Judy. Um, this is actually Kate about Judy. Ooh. She said it in an interview to Variety when Notes on a Scandal came out. <laughs> wow. That was, yeah, I guess that must have been after she moved to London. <laughs> Bloody hilarious. Yes. Who said this? I haven't read the script. I just wanted to work with you and Richard. Um, I know this and I, it is one of my most cherished celebrity interviews. Um, this is Judy speaking about Notes on a Scandal. And I just, I like have to do my impression of Judy in this moment because it's not just, I wanted to work with you. It's, I wanted to work with you, darling. <laughs> yes. uh, she's wonderful. And, um, and Kate has told this story many times, which is just tells you how much these two women loved working on that movie together. Talk about the best of England. I mean, I adore Bill Nye and I adore um, Judy Dench, both as actors and as uh, human beings. And I loved us sitting in the, we were doing makeup tests again, and I was sitting with Judy and I said, you know the, and I was friends with Patrick Marber who wrote the, 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 the screenplay, which is an excellent, excellent adaptation of Zoe Heller's novel. Um, and I sit next to Judy as we were, you know, getting into hair and makeup for the first time. And I said, I wonder, Judy, whether we should, you know, speak to Patrick about, you know, I was talking about a particular scene. She said, oh, darling, I haven't read the script. <laughs> and she said, oh, and I love you. And she said, what happens? What happens? And she said, I just wanted to work with Richard and with you, darling. <laughs> and so, um, so she's fabulous. She just, and, but I understand what she's talking about. She trusts the script's going to be great because she, she loves all the component parts. You know, it's not the size of her role or what she gets to say or what she gets to do. It's the experience of doing it. Um, and that's what makes her so alive and, and, and keeps her sort of having that sort of really delicious frisson with the, with the work and with the audience. All right. Are you ready for the last one? Yes. I'm obsessed with her. I've been stalking her for years. <laughs> I would guess that that is Judy making a, a reference to her her character in Notes on a Scandal, but mm. speaking about Kate. Wrong, wrong, wrong. That is Whoa. actually Kate saying that about Judy. And this was at a press conference at the Berlin Film Festival when Notes on a Scandal played. And they asked her about Judy and she's like, you know, I've been stalking her for years. <laughs> I'm obsessed with Judy. I've been stalking her for years. 
Adorable. That's very sweet. Yeah, they are. I mean, you can see why Judy would be inspiring for Kate because Kate does so much theater work and, and Judy's sort of facility in, you know, in theater and in film and her dominance really in mm-hmm. theater and in film. You can see why that would be something that Kate, Kate would admire. It's interesting. I mean, Judy speaking to her status as a dame does feel like like a national treasure. Um, and it's interesting that Kate has had that relationship with the Sydney Theatre Company in Australia in a way that is like also sort of tied to like a national arts identity, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So sort yeah. of building up the idea of like, no, Australian theatre can have this same quality of um, of a kind of like rootedness in place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the longevity of Judy's career probably inspires actresses like Kate and people in her generation to just be like, well, maybe we can still be working, you know? Right. Um, Do you think that, do you think that Kate will want to work when Kate is Judy's age? Um, I hope so. Just for my own benefit. I want to watch her. I want her, you know, if hopefully this pandemic ends and we can go back to the theater. I think Kate is entering her fifties now. And there are so many great parts in theater that I want to see her do. Um, so I hope so. But she says a lot in interviews that she's always thinking about quitting. And so I wouldn't be surprised if just one day she's, she's like, fuck it. I'm not working anymore. <laughs> She has, she has a very sort of famous quote from this interview that she did with Julia Roberts last year or maybe two years ago where she was doing um, this play in London at the National and she had to be in her underwear in that play. And so she says to Julia Roberts in this interview magazine interview, she's like, I, I'm always asking myself, why am I on stage in my underwear when I could be home <laughs> reading Proust? <laughs> I know, but, you know, having, having read some Proust you do need a break from the Proust too sometimes. Totally. So let's hope that she she continues working. Her plan is only going to drive her back to acting. You can't read Proust and, yes. <laughs> and not, not uh, get the itch to do something else from time to time. All right. I have a follow-up quiz for you. Okay. Let's see if you can do this. So both Kate and Judy have seven Oscar nominations. Kate has won two and Judy has won one, but they have the same number of nominations. We already know, we've already mentioned that her first Oscar nomination was for Mrs. Brown. Can you name her other six nominations? Okay. Mrs. Brown, Iris, Shakespeare in Love. Yes, the one she won for. Philomena. Yes. That's, what's that what's that one with Tolstoy? Didn't she get nominated? Oh no, that's Helen Mirren. That's Helen Mirren. That's another dame. <laughs> the other dame. The other other dame. Yeah. Um Judy. What are Judy's other other like roles? There is one you should get. We've been talking about. You haven't mentioned oh, the no, one. Notes on a scandal, of course. <laughs> yes, notes on a scandal. How, how many was that? That's four or five? That's uh, five. So you have one more that you haven't. Met. Oh man! Oh, actually, more. you have two more. I'm sorry, because you said Mrs. Brown, Shakespeare in Love, Iris, 
Notes on a Scandal, and Philomena. So you have two more. Two more. Was she nominated for Mrs. Henderson Presents? She was. <laughs> wow. Wow. Ugh, the Academy. What jokers. And this um, is when she became a default nominee. Oh, Judy Dench is in the movie this year. Put her on that ballot. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so Mrs. Henderson Presents, and then there's one more. One more. It is one. It is um, every obviously all of these are after Mrs. Brown, but it is the one she was nominated for right after Shakespeare in Love. It's another movie that's very forgettable, but at the time it was a Best Picture nominee and a Best Actress nominee, and Judy was nominated in supporting. Um, think French. Oh my God. <laughs> I think I know what it is. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> is it Chocolat? It is Chocolat with Julian Binoche. Wow. Judy. Judy, what a joker. Yeah. I mean, that is the other thing that's funny about Judy is that she will take a lot of, of roles. <laughs> she, she just will. takes on, she'll just take a role. Why not? Yeah. And, you know, I've seen Chocolat. It was one of my um, pandemic watches. And it's a forgettable movie, but Judy's cute in it. Um, you know, I, sorry, I don't want to say cute. That sometimes is offensive um, because Judy's <laughs> so much more than that. She's wonderful <laughs> and amazing, and I shouldn't say cute. Um, but she plays this older curmudgeon who wants to make amends with her grandson because she's dying. So it's a, another tragic sort of story for her to play. But also, like we said earlier, she finds the funny. Her scenes with this young child actor who plays her grandson are so hilarious. And she has wonderful chemistry with Juliette Binoche because of course, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't have chemistry with Judy and who wouldn't have chemistry with Juliette? <laughs> Truly, I would say for both of them, like top five actors that you would like want to hang out with. Judy and Juliet. <laughs> Ju Judy and Juliet, like you would be guaranteed a good time. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, if you have nothing to do today, go watch Chocolat. You can just put it on and enjoy whenever Dame Judy comes in. There is a lot of other things that happen on it, but just enjoy Dame Judy Dench and her Oscar-nominated performance. <laughs> <laughs> so the current iteration of Dame Judy that I'm really enjoying, and we've been sending each other short videos as we prepare to talk to her about, is this, she's a TikTok sensation. What she's been doing in quarantine this year is that She's appearing in her grandson TikToks, which she sometimes sings. Sometimes they talk about songs. Sometimes they just talk. Sometimes they play things. It is so much fun. Tell me, Teo, have you been enjoying these? I have been. I mean, the the vibe is very, <laughs> the vibe of Judy in those TikToks is very much like, um, I don't know if our listeners have seen Let Them All Talk yet. Uh, the recent Steven Soderbergh movie with Meryl Streep. But the premise of that yes. is that Meryl Streep has her like her hapless grandson who comes on the queen, whatever boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and they, they are just hanging out and he's asking questions of the elder ladies. And that's very much the energy of Judy and her grandkids, which is so sweet. It's like very, very sweet and endearing. And Judy's such a good sport, you know, like, I think that is one of the reasons she's so beloved is the the idea that, like, she's not above being on TikTok, you know, mm -hmm. that she would be like, okay, fine, like, 
play me 10 seconds of songs that were released in 2018. <laughs> I'll, I'll like listen to it. It's fine. You know, there's something very, very endearing about her in that way. She's very game. Yes, she is very game. And maybe Steven Soderbergh, I don't know if you listen to our podcast, but if you're listening, dude, go to England, find a way after you produce the Oscars this year and maybe go shoot something like Let Them All Talk with Judy Dench. That would be fun for everyone, you included. <laughs> Teo, thank you so much for coming to talk to me about Dame Judy. This was such an enjoyable conversation. We love the Dame. She's my favorite Dame, but we also love all the other Dames, including, of course, your favorite Dame, Maggie Smith. And before we go, if you had to tell our listeners to watch one movie for either Dame that not enough people talk about, and uh, which movie would you advise them to watch? Preferably something we haven't talked about today. Well, okay, so this isn't a, J- a Dame Judy movie. This is a Dame Maggie movie, but I really encourage people, because we were speaking about Merchant Ivory earlier, I really, really encourage people to seek out the 1981 quartet, not the recent quartet, but <laughs> the the one from the 1980s, which is a Merchant Ivory movie um, starring uh, a real favorite of mine, Isabella Johnny, and Maggie Smith. And it's uh, an adaptation of a Gene Reese like novella. Um, and it's sort of Isabella Johnny is playing the Jean Reese character who's entrapped basically by Alan Bates and Maggie Smith. And Maggie is so, so good, so pungent in that movie. She's just like firing on all cylinders. She's giving like bitterness and resentment and anger and victimhood. And it's just a real plum role for Maggie. And you can really see why the Merchant Ivory partnership um, in the Merchant Ivory Partnership, why they would want to work with Maggie again based on, on her performance yeah. in that movie. Just a I, wonderful, a wonderful movie overall. And I've seen this movie based on your recommendation and I agree with everything you just said. It's a great showcase from, for Maggie Smith, but also for Adjani. It's also, also too, I think really like one of the Merchant Ivory films that highlights something in their work that I think they don't get enough credit for, which is that they're post-colonial filmmakers that you know, in their work. Um, and, and this, I think, comes from, like, their experiences as a, a couple, you know, as a, a queer couple, and then also as a couple that is uh, interracial and, and shares different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but so much of their work really deals with the, the, the sort of challenge of empire and how empire establishes itself and then the dynamics that play out interpersonally because of the existence of empire and i think that that movie is such a a really wonderful um a really wonderful example of how they're such good readers of course because that is a part of jean reese's focus as a writer um Mm -hmm. she's probably best known for wide sargasso sea which is the the sort of short novel that reimagines Jane Eyre from the perspective of um, the woman in the attic. Um, And yeah, and they just pull out in such beautiful, subtle ways, the dynamics of colonialism in, in that film specifically. It's just really a really fantastic movie. Yes, I agree. 
And my recommendation for our listeners will be a recommendation for Dame Judi Dench. If you haven't seen the BBC PBS masterpiece miniseries Cranford, which not only has Dame Judi Dench, but has another Dame, Eileen Atkins, they play these older cranky sisters who love gossip. And this, you know, I love reading gossip columns. And this is one of the very few works of cinema or TV where it shows a love for gossip and how gossip starts and how it can do good and do bad. And so I've never, yes, there is Gossip Girl, but there's never been a show that I have seen at least that is about the machinations of how gossip spreads and how it can do good. Um, And so, and of course, Judy and Eileen Atkins are delicious as these two sisters who one of them loves the gossip and one of them is not into the gossip, but they both can't help but spread it. So <laughs> I also loved Cranford. Maybe I should revisit. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's, a fu- it's fun and it's a mini series. So you have many hours. So I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but hopefully on BritBox or something like that. So thank you, Teo, so much for coming on Sundays with Kate. And thank um, you for having me. It's such, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. So before we go, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work. Sure. So you can find my writing at the New York Times and you can find me at uh, on Twitter at TMI Bugby. And you can find me on Twitter at M-E underscore says and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. All previous episodes of the podcast are available at sundayswithkate.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, thank you for listening.